right, everybody's making their way here. While you're um, while, while you're wandering in, I noticed that uh, that Jane has the book we're using. Jane, would you? Um, Jane will be our Vanna White today, and uh, <laughs> we're working through um, uh, Richard Mayhew's book, Practicing Proverbs. It's a it's not a very long book, and the first five chapters are just kind of setting the stage, and we're going to finish chapter five today. Um, and then we get into some of the, the, the nuts and bolts and practical side, uh, more practical side of, of Proverbs. It's a, it's a good book just as a guide, a guidebook for going through the Proverbs. And, and he, he sets out uh, a plan, a reading plan for uh, going through Proverbs. And so it's a, it's a really good book just for that, to, to have a plan that this is how I'm going to approach going through this book. And uh, so I would encourage you to get it just for that reason, not, uh, not only for the fact that we're going through Sunday school uh, with that book for the rest of the summer up through the end of August, but it's just a good practical guide for going, um, making your way through the book of Proverbs. So if, uh, um, I don't know if we're, are, now did, how did you, are we selling that back here or? Okay. Oh, there, there's Russell right there. Hi, Russell. <laughs> and Kelsey. So you got it from Amazon. Okay. Okay, so if you want to... Okay, so the um, the best way to, to order it, just order it through Amazon. It's it's only about 5 or $6, isn't it? No? Oh. How much? Oh, 15 Okay, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, because we're ordering it. <laughs> okay. Well, it might it might be at the book shack down at Grace Community too. It might be. In, I don't. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, that's what we're. That's the book we're using. Practicing Proverbs um, by Dick Mayhew. Okay. Well, let's. Go, uh, we're doing chapter five today. Those of you that actually have the text, and um, which is wisdom's way is best. Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us to, to worship and to fellowship and to come together as a body. And uh, we just ask that you would help us as we work our way through today's lessons and, and looking at, at, uh, at many Proverbs uh, from uh, the book of Proverbs in your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, the, the book of Proverbs is uh, really a, a book that shows us a lot of choices between God's way and the world's way. And uh, uh, that you read just a, so many of them, it's you can do this or you can do this. You can do this or you can do this. This is the way of, of the Lord and this is the way of the world. This is the way of the Lord and this is the way of the world. And Joshua certainly got it right uh, concerning that in, in Joshua uh, 24, verse 15. Uh, Joshua said, And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers um, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can serve these guys or you can serve the Lord. 
that you can serve these fake gods or you can serve the Lord. And that's certainly the message that we see throughout the book of, of Proverbs is who are you going to serve? What direction are you going to take? And that's, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at in today's lesson is uh, are these directions that we, that we may uh, be faced with and the direction that we should take as opposed to the direction we shouldn't take. Scholars and historians, philosophers uh, of, of the day largely agree that the era of rational thought, objective thought, is a thing of the past. And personal opinion and relativism is affirmed to be the, um, the guide that we should go to for, for our lives today. And uh, it's all these scholars, historians, and philosophers uh, view this as a positive thing, sadly, and not a negative thing. The, the term that is placed on uh, this type of thinking is postmodernism, which I think you've all heard uh, that term. Uh, uh, it's also sometimes called revisionism. Uh, using this type of thinking, postmodern thinking, a person may set aside the facts of life. They would set aside reality and accept whatever a person thinks. Uh, to put it another way, we accept what a person thinks ought to be reality as true, even when the facts and the Bible are in complete contradiction. Absolutes are denied and abandoned. Relativism is embraced. Everybody's right. <laughs> Whatever you think, you're okay. <laughs> Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. There's no sin, just sickness from one point of view, um, or just the right to an alternative lifestyle from another point of view. Drug abuse is recreation. The traditional family is outdated. Immorality is labeled as sexual freedom. Pornography is freedom of speech. Abortion is labeled post-conception birth control. Homosexuality is not only an alternative lifestyle, it's an acceptable lifestyle. And yet we, re, we think of Solomon who reminds us, and Solomon, of course, writing most of the Proverbs, reminds us that there's nothing new under the sun. And so we look at all, uh, all these things that I just read and wonder, oh, the, you know, what a terrible world we live in today. And yet Solomon say, hey, it's no different than when I was walking the earth. There's nothing new under the sun. And we remember verses such as uh, Judges 21:25, where we read, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, of course, that's what postmodernism is. We're all right. I can do anything that I want. Uh, it's right in my eyes. So everybody and Judges... Uh, and we read this throughout uh, the scriptures in the Old Testament that uh, in Israel they did what was right in their own eyes. And it's not that they had the intent to do wrong because when we read that verse we think, okay, they're, they're doing the wrong thing, which of course they are doing the wrong thing. But that wasn't the intent. I mean, read the verse that says everyone did what was right. I mean, if you just put a period right there, you'd say, oh, this is a good thing. Everybody did what was right, period. You'd say, oh, okay. I guess things were all right. But then you finish the sentence. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. 
And there we have the problem, is doing what was right in their own eyes. They weren't choosing to do wrong, but they, were, uh, they weren't doing what was scriptural. They weren't following the Lord uh, at that point. Uh, they would decide what was right, not God. It was their decision, not the Lord's decision, on what the right thing to do would be. Uh, consider this quote from one of the um, one of the worst personalities. I'm trying to. I didn't write anything down for a descriptor for this person, but the worst person that you could think of in history, and you're probably one of the guys you would think of would be Hitler. Um, consider this quote from Adolf Hitler from his book Mein Kampf. He said, Hence today I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator by defending myself against the Jew. I'm fighting for the work of the Lord. Hitler. He was doing what was right in his eyes. He was doing the the acceptable thing. And of course we know that that is far from the truth. He was delusional. As are so many people today deluded by their own thinking and not following Scripture, not following the Lord. Well, what are the absolutes then? What's truth? As Pilate asked, what is truth? What are the absolutes, if there are any? Which morals, which values, which ethics are we to embrace? In the the moral realm, uh, are there absolutes that have the same certainty as gravity, which is holding you to your chair right now? And you're not afraid of floating around? Are there uh, laws that, uh, absolutes, which, with the certainty of the laws of physics and, of course, the laws of mathematics? Yay. <laughs> so who do you look to for instruction? Plato, Aristotle, Confucius, Pythagoras. If you Google wisest man... King Solomon will appear. And looking to Solomon is certainly getting closer to the right direction that we should uh, look to. Everyone must ultimately turn to the Word of God, to the Bible, to find wisdom and truth that everyone needs. Sadly, most of the world is blind to the truth of, of Scripture and believe that it's already embraced the wisdom and truth necessary uh, for, for guidance in life by looking to the world, looking for worldly wisdom and philosophy. Sadly, Dr. Spock carries much more weight than Dr. Luke. The, the book of Proverbs is God's most concentrated presentation of wisdom, uh, a wisdom that's practical, it's concrete, not theoretical. Of all the worldly philosophies and, and teaching, Proverbs is certainly the better way and the best way to find wisdom. Uh, Proverbs is a book that addresses all problems, all people, in all types of circumstances, with all types of problems. It supplies wisdom to the smallest child and to the best educated person. Uh, a theme that we often see in, in, the, in the wisdom literature, such as Ecclesiastes, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and, and Proverbs, of course, is that the fear of the Lord leads to divine wisdom for righteous living. 
questions and dilemma at work, at home, uh, even at the ch- even in, in the church, with relationships, our relationship with God. All of these are addressed in the book of Proverbs. We have real, down-to-earth, concrete answers, um, which, if followed, bring great pleasure and glory to God, as well as peace and hope in a person's life. In 1846, uh, the commentator Charles Bridges wrote this uh, about the book of Proverbs, an, an excerpt from that. The sovereign on the throne is as instructed from God. The principles of national prosperity and decay are laid open. The rich are warned of their besetting temptations. The poor are cheered in their worldly humiliation. Wise rules are given for self-government. It bridles the injurious tongue, corrects the wanton eye, and ties the unjust hand in chains. It prevents sloth, chastises all absurd desires, teaches prudence, raises man's courage, and represents temperance and chastity after such a fashion that we cannot but have them in veneration. If the Psalms bring a glow upon the heart, the Proverbs makes the face to shine. Proverbs is a book that can be used as a a family manual by which mothers and fathers can nurture and guide their children and grandchildren. A new believer can be discipled through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs covers all aspects of life. It's a guide to glorifying God by living wisely. Proverbs instruct us on how to be blessed by God, and it tells us what the fear of the Lord looks like and how to live it out. It talks about life and death and prayer and sacrifice. Proverbs discusses reward, righteousness, sin, anger, humility, love, hate, lying, morality, what you ought to do and what you should not do when speaking. It talks about authority, accountability, correction, marriage, parenting, uh, everything you would possibly want to know in terms of how to uh, live a life pleasing to the Lord. Integrity, loyalty, truth, wealth, benevolence, friendship, and on and on and on. In a general sense, Proverbs can be looked upon as a way of, of showing that one way of doing something is better than another way, as we said before. The Lord's way versus the way of the world. The word proverb actually means to be like, to be like. As we study Proverbs, it's clear that we're comparing the world's way to God's way, which is not only the better way, it's the best way. Proverbs points us to God's way, the way we are to be like. So in the remainder of this lesson, we're going to examine 10 priorities from passages in Proverbs which promote the better way, the best way, the Lord's way. Uh, which, of course, is, uh, as Proverbs uh, means, the way we are to be like when we read the Proverbs. So the first priority is, and and a lot of these, as we read these, they're going to be kind of one of the, something like, well, duh, of course, this is the better way. Um, Others of them, you might kind of think, hmm, about that. But I I hope this, this first comparison will be pretty obvious to us all. But we know that in in, in our culture, it's not. And uh, this first choice is the priority of wealth or wisdom. 
wealth or wisdom. Now, you know, we know <laughs> it's wisdom, of course. <laughs> and yet, in our culture, wealth is a big deal. But what should our priority be, wealth or, or wisdom? Which is the better way? Well, here's, some, here's a few Proverbs uh, that we can read to, to help us cement in the, the better way, which, of course, is wisdom. Proverbs three thirteen and 14. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Throughout the book of Proverbs, by the way, you'll, you'll, you'll read the, the statement, get wisdom, <laughs> get wisdom, be wise throughout here. And uh, so blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Proverbs 8, verses 11 and verses 19. For wisdom is better than jewels. For all that you may desire cannot compare with her. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. And Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Wisdom is always preferable over wealth. There's, there's no rule that says that, that godly people will be wealthy or, uh, or financially and or material, uh, material, materially comfortable. And throughout history, godly people have also been people of poverty. But wisdom supplies a spiritual wealth that is a superior and a better asset than wealth. Uh, wisdom points to Christ. First Corinthians one twenty four tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians two three says that it's in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If if we've if we've allowed Christ to be everything to us, then we should be able to allow God to decide at what level and at what lifestyle we're going to live instead of worrying about it. Acquiring wisdom and not wealth. Wisdom and not wealth should be our passion. Uh, most of us could probably share stories of, of, very, of times uh, when we were younger, maybe when we were first married and just barely eking it out and, and living on beans and rice or wondering, <laughs> you know, where, where will my next meal come from? Um, I remember in... in uh, when Trish and I were first married, you know, you, you think back, man, we were we were living on like a couple hundred bucks a month. How did how in the world did that happen? And um, it was just it was just crazy. Uh, and yet uh, those were great times. And we we look back at those as those were some of the those were very, very important years. And we learned a lot on how to live on very little and that you can get by on very little. And money is Certainly not everything. <laughs> Good thing, because we certainly didn't have it. <laughs> but you can fall into the trap of comparing yourself to, uh, to others. Of, well, they have this, and they have this, and I've got it, and I don't have that. And I wish I did. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it becomes the sin of envy and the sin of covetousness. We need to be able to thank God for the ways he has blessed others, whether he's blessed us that way or not. That's not the point. Be thankful that he's blessed others some way, and he's blessed you in another way. Whatever the way that is, he's blessed you. 
And we need to learn how to be thankful for that. But the wisest approach is to let God choose the course of your life and be content in that uh, and, and not worry about uh, the money end of it. Let God choose that. Remember, remember the man who God inspired to write Proverbs and to write Ecclesiastes. Solomon, probably not only the wisest man who ever lived, but probably the richest man who ever lived. And then we read what he's writing, and he's saying, hey, it's not worth it. I had it all, and believe me, don't, you know, you're, if you're worried about it, stop. Stop worrying about it. If the Lord should, should bless you that way, great. And if not, that's great too. Get wisdom. <laughs> that's what you need to worry about, is to be wise. Fear the Lord and obey his commandments. The second um, priority is choosing to make humility or or pride a priority. And again, this is uh, probably one of those no-brainers. What should we go with, humility or pride? And, of course, humility would be the the, the choice. Uh, The better way that we would read in Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 9, better to be lowly and have a servant, so let's drink that in, better to be lowly, and have a servant, which I kind of, you know, I read that and say, well, that's, how does that happen? (laughs) But better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. To play the great man, to put on a facade, and you don't even know where your next meal is coming from, but you try to look really good, (laughs) try to look rich. One of the ways that we play the great man is to live beyond our means and um, rack up a lot of debt. I, um, when I got to this section, I decided to do a, a, a just a little bit of research, and so I looked up credit card debt because that's probably the number one place where we would get into trouble is with our credit cards. And I, th- I thought it was interesting. I, I don't know why I thought it was interesting. Afterwards, I thought, well, yeah, that's but this is a statistic that I found, that um, the, the highest average credit card debt in different age groups, in different, and different, um, I shouldn't say age groups, but different income levels, across, different, across various income levels, that the highest average credit card debt, which is about $10,000, belongs to people with negative or zero net worth. Zero or negative net worth, and they have the highest debt, ten thousand uh, bucks. Overall, the average credit card debt for people carrying a balance from month to month is over sixteen thousand dollars. the The pride of wanting to look good or to look like everyone else often wins out over humility. But humility, of course, is the better way. But we fall prey to the desire of of wanting to drive a particular car or to have our house decorated a particular way or to to live in a particular neighborhood, to dress a certain way. Uh, And it it, it just becomes a sinful desire uh, to just want things. (laughs) I want this. I want this. Just because it pleases us. And we have that sinful desire to just want stuff. Just to make 
us happy. And there's nothing inherently wrong with, with the Lord providing us with things. But to have a covetousness about it, to have, a, to have a, a, the wrong desire with those things, that's the problem, is to have that, that pride of, well, I just want this because I deserve it, because I want it, not because I need it. And so we have to be careful that we, um, we don't place importance of things over God, and that's what happens is that things become more important than our relationship to the Lord. That's a problem. We have to be able to humbly accept what the Lord has given us, uh, whether it's a new Mercedes or an old Hyundai. <laughs> you know, who knows? If appearance is everything to us, then everything we have will only be appearance. It's not meaningful. It doesn't bring glory to God. Proverbs sixteen, nineteen. we read, It's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. In Proverbs 25, 7, uh, It's better to be told, Come up here! than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And when I think of that, I'm thinking when, uh, come up here, I'm thinking when the Lord calls us home and come up here and say, yes, I will. (laughs) What a glorious day that will be when the Lord uh, asked us to come up here. Uh, In in this proverb and also in in Luke, Luke uh, wrote something uh, along these lines. In uh, uh, the... um, let me read from Luke fourteen seven through 11. Now he told a parable about those who were uh, invited to a wedding, and he noticed how they, were, um, how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when, you're, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place but you when you were invited go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes he may say to you friend move up higher then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted and um uh, uh It'd be like um, yesterday at a, at at, at the, the wedding of Elizabeth and Jeremy. It would be like when I walked into the uh, in the hotels. If I would have walked to the head table and sat down, I'm pretty sure I would have been invited to sit somewhere else, <laughs> which would have been quite humbling. <laughs> I was wise enough to not to do that. <laughs> And that's the instruction that's given here is that, you know, you need to be careful about exalting yourself too high because you might be told, no, you're not that special. Go sit there in the back, please. <laughs> Better to be humble than uh, uh, than to be more proud than you ought to be. Pride should not be your priority. Uh, the The way of wisdom involves the way of humility, not the way of pride. Third is the priority of the fear of the Lord, of course, which is a major theme 
in, in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs, uh, a major point that Solomon makes over and over again. In Proverbs fifteen sixteen, we read this, better is, a li- uh, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. We have to think of where our peace really lies with things or with, with God. And again, as we uh, recalled a few minutes ago, think about who wrote these things. Solomon, uh, who was uh, so wise and so rich, and yet uh, what were his final words to us? And his final words were, Fear God, fear the Lord, and keep his commandments. And he admonishes us not to accumulate more wealth And not to look out just for ourselves, but to fear the Lord and serve the Lord. That's what's important. Better to have poverty uh, with the fear of the Lord. Better to be poor and fear the Lord than to be rich and be sad. And uh, on on uh, on a path to hell. The fourth priority is the choice of love and hate. Again, a no-brainer. Love versus hate, well, guess what? We're going to choose love every time. Proverbs fifteen seventeen. we read, uh, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A dinner of herbs would be a typical dinner for the poor. So when it says better, than a, uh, better is a dinner of herbs where love is, uh, if, if, you're, if you're poor and all you can have is some, some greens that you've gathered out, uh, out in the field somewhere, better that, and yet you have love in your home, than a great feast where everybody hates each other. And so that's, uh, again, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, it's far better to live in an environment uh, of love, even if you have nothing else. And I was... Uh, uh, in, in reading this particular section, I was thinking about the, the two, the three uh, typical, the, the environments that we live most of our lives in, at, at, at work, at home, and at church. Hopefully at church, we definitely, I hope, have an environment of love within the church. If not, um, we're, in, uh, we're in sad shape. And, and, and headed for a place that we, uh, the, the church is going to die. Uh, the church should be the number one place where we would feel love. But we should also feel this in our families, in our workplace. Maybe you're an employee uh, and you have a great paying job, but a terrible work environment. It's just awful. You're better off taking a lower paying job where you have a loving environment. Um, and I, I know someone uh, who, had, who went through that just recently where they had a great job, but it was an awful place. <laughs> Their hair started falling out. It was so bad. And they, they left and went to a place where they had to take a, a, a lower salary, and yet they are loved there and cared for there, and, find, and they find peace in that work environment. And what about our families? Are we, sh- are we displaying love in our families to our husbands, to our wives, to our children? Uh, the better way is definitely uh, love. If you're a business owner or a manager uh, in your place of business, have you created a place, a workplace, where your employees feel 
loved, where, they, where you appreciate them, and it's a safe place for them. Sure, there's accountability, but you also want to provide uh, a loving environment for them. And moms and dads, uh, have you created that loving environment for your children in your home? Uh, we who are in Christ, we pray. Uh, one, of the, one of our most important prayers is to pray that all men and women will have their eyes opened to their sin and recognize that they have hated God and will come to know the love of God before it's too late and repent of their sins. And those of us who have given our lives over to Christ, we do know the love of God. We know that that's the better way. We have the love of God, and we have the ability to show others the love of God. And that's what we're asked to do in Proverbs, is to love. And so as much as it's up to us, we have to make it a priority. We must make it a priority to display love. Number five is in the priority list is righteousness over injustice. Proverbs 16.8, better is a little righteousness, better is, is little, I should say, better is little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Have you noticed that, that Solomon is time and time and time again, here's this, this man who is so rich, and time and time again he's saying, look, it's not the wealth it's, it's not the things that you have. And here again, uh, we see that. In, in the last three priorities that we've, we've, we've looked at, it's, it, uh, prosperity and poverty have been contrasted in the context of the fear of the Lord, in the love and hate, humility and pride. Uh, the point is, our flesh worries so much about wealth, and we're so anxious about prosperity but uh, we have to continually work to put off, to put off those think that that type of thinking, and daily commit to to what the better way is, what the best way is, and join ourselves to wisdom and not wealth. Join ourselves to humility rather than pride. Join ourselves to the fear of the Lord instead of prosperity. Join ourselves to love and not hate. And here. Uh, in this fifth priority, join ourselves to righteousness rather than injustice. Uh, righteous living with a meager paycheck, with little, as we've read here in Proverbs 16.8, is far better than to live a life of great wealth that may have been accumulated through unethical, immoral, and unjust ways. Number six in the priority list is Peace versus anger. Proverbs 16.32 Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. And again, a no-brainer. Anger versus peace. We would all seek peace. Proverbs 17.1 advises Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Uh, we should be slow to anger rather than hot-tempered and, uh, and an aggressive person. Uh, again, we see the comparison of better to have a little than a lot if we're following wisdom. Peace with a simple life is prized above a life of power and prestige. 
which would be soured by anger. Um, If a person is driven by the negative options of the first priorities that we've we've looked at, uh, and they have a craving for uh, for power and a craving for prestige, then uh, certainly anger and injustice is going to follow. Selfishness is going to drive a person to cheat just to satisfy sinful desires. As a teacher, I see it every day. Uh, Students wanting to get a better grade and some students stopping at nothing to get a better grade. Every time I give a test, I know somebody's going to cheat. Every time. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. But I know. After 39 years of teaching, I have wised up to the fact that I have to shut it down because it's going to happen. <laughs> People, the, the students, will cheat, and uh, and it's uh, it's a it's a, it's a, it's an, it's injustice in many ways. And so, as a Christian, uh, that's something that we have to be careful about. All these priorities that we've been reading about, including this one of peace versus anger, of righteousness versus injustice. These are things that we are faced with every day. What are you going to do? You may be tempted with cheating in some way. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live? How are you going to grasp the righteous way, the wise way, the best way? The life of a Christian should be marked by peace and righteousness, not anger and injustice. The, the seventh choice of priorities, integrity versus uh, deceitfulness. Proverbs 19, 1 and, uh, 20, verse 1 and verse 22, and uh, in, in Proverbs 22, verse 1, we read this about integrity and deceitfulness. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. 19.22 What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And then in Proverbs 28.6 Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Uh, poverty with truth and integrity is more noble and dignified than prosperity that is uh, marinated with deceitfulness and dishonesty. Uh, the principle, uh, this principle can influence, influence uh, as I just said, many, many areas of our life. As I just said, as a teacher, I, I, you know, I'm constantly having to see how are, how are these wonderful little children going to cheat this time? <laughs> what are they going to try? <laughs> and it gets to, be, it gets to be kind of a sad game in terms of how to, uh, to ward that off and, and to keep them honest. Uh, um, and not that uh, I, I, I probably sound pretty... Uh, pretty sad talking to <laughs> that way, but I think you all know that, you know, sometimes students cheat. <laughs> do all of them cheat? No, but a lot of them do. Um, so I don't want to f- sound too negative on that. 
But the, the, the world's focus uh, is on outward appearances. And, and the, the students uh, uh, that I have, they, a lot of them, they're so A-driven. They want that A. And for us, as I talked about wealth earlier, some of us are so wealth-driven or things-driven or I would like to have this driven that we have to be on guard. We have to guard that continually. We have to guard our hearts against those things. Uh, when when uh, Israel was, when the Lord was guiding Israel into choosing a king, and um, Samuel thought that he had uh, maybe found a guy that would be okay, the Lord had a different plan. And in 1 Samuel 16 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. He might look good, but he's not the guy, even though he looks good. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we're talking about integrity. What's inside your character. Integrity is always the better way. Number eight on our list of priorities and um, this one should really perk up your ears. A loving wife or a contentious wife? A loving or contentious wife. Proverbs 21, 9 and 19. We read this. It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Well, clearly, a humble but happy home is wisdom's way, and it's the better way. And I doubt if anyone, any of, all of us men who are married, I doubt if any of us were actively seeking out a wife who would be quarrelsome <laughs> and, and contentious. It's like, hmm, she can put up a good argument. I'll pick her. <laughs> That's the one. That's a, that's a good debate. And, of course, that's, that's silly. Um, that, that doesn't happen. Uh, for all of us, uh, whether you're married or not, it's important, though, to, uh, especially, I guess, for those of you who haven't, uh, the few of you who are not married yet, uh, to know what your spouse is like in those stressful, in unpleasant times, times when uh, she doesn't get her way, and I say this, and I would, I, would, I would really flip this around to the men also. It, this is a two-way street. The, the verse is particularly with women, but, you know, men, we're just as bad. And we have to look at this the other way as well. Um, it's important in those early days of courtship to really uh, evaluate, is this somebody who I can spend the rest of my life with? If you're constantly quarreling, before you're even married, wake up. <laughs> this might not be the best decision <laughs> if, if you can't get along. Um, but uh, when, you, uh, when you are married, the, the truth is many contentious Christian wives or husbands have simply been ill-treated by their, their spouses. There may not be, and there may be, physical abuse, but there's probably neglect and mental and emotional abuse. Certainly neglect. Wives may be frustrated that their husband has not assumed the proper biblical role. 
They've not properly assumed their spiritual responsibilities as given in Scripture. As we've done our shepherding interviews, it's really been neat to hear the testimony of some wives and husbands who have said, you know, since I've started coming to church here, I finally learned what it means to be the spiritual leader of my home. I've learned what it means to lead my wife properly in the scriptures and in prayer, in spiritual things. And, uh, and, and that's a wonderful thing because that's wisdom. <laughs> that's getting wisdom to be the spiritual leader in your home, for husbands to lead their wives properly, not neglect their wives, not frustrate their wives because they haven't assumed the proper role, but have taken the proper role in their marriage and are doing the things that Scripture asks husbands to do. Those husbands have chosen the better way. And the husbands that neglect their wives and abuse their wives and emotionally uh, and berate them and mentally berate them, that's not the better way, obviously. Um, husbands, sacrifice yourselves for your wife. That's the better way. Treat your wife biblically. The ninth on our list is love expressed or love suppressed. Love expressed or love suppressed. Psalms 27.5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Proverbs 13.24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And Proverbs 28.23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Now certainly, as we talked about earlier, love is the better way. And to show love and express that love in our family. I grew up in a family where nobody ever really said, I love you. We all knew it. At least I think we did. (laughs) Sometimes I wondered. But uh, we all knew it, but it was never said. It wasn't, until, it wasn't until probably the last five to ten years of my parents' life that there was finally a dialogue where we actually said, I love you to each other, which was, which was very, very important to me to finally be able to openly say that, where it was kind of a thing of where, oh, you don't really say that, but, you know, we do, but you don't say it. Trisha's family was exactly the opposite. You know, if you, uh, you know, if you were walking across the room and, and you dropped something, they would say, oh, let me get that for you. I love you. <laughs> you know, it was just anything. It was always, I love you. It was like, wow, I guess, I guess they really mean it. <laughs> and um, I really think that was an influence in, uh, with my parents in, in that finally I was, I was permeated with that love uh, through Trisha's family, and, I, and that spilled over into my mom and dad, and, and we were able to kind of break that barrier of expressing love um, instead of just saying, well, everybody knows it. We don't have to say it. Well, you know what? Say it. <laughs> you, you, sh- you do need to express that. Don't hide the love that you have for your family, for your Christian brothers and sisters. Say, I love you. I'm proud of you. Give him a hug. 
Sometimes it comes in rebuke. As we said here, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And whenever I read that verse, I think of my football coach, uh, Coach Ned Permenter, who's kind of a legend in Bakersfield. And um, Coach Permenter, I, I will never forget one day after practice. And uh, I, I guess they must have yelled at us a little bit more uh, than usual that day. But, you know, when you're, you're a coach, that's what you do. You're, you know, you're constantly on your players. You know, you got to do this right, do that. You know, and it's just, you know, you're, you, you, know you yell. You, learn, you, you really learn how to yell when you're a coach, too. I coached a little bit of football. And I, I, one of the things I appreciated most was I knew how to yell without totally thrashing my voice. And uh, but I'm off, off topic. The, uh, the, uh, but the point... Of, of Coach Fermenter was that he just said, you know what? We're trying to make you better. We care about what's going on here. We care about you. We want you guys to be the best you can be as a player. We want you to be excellent out on the field. We want you to entertain the fans <laughs> and not stink up the place so that everybody leaves. <laughs> we, want a, we, want, we want you to be good. We care about you. I don't think he said we love you, but that's what, that's what he was saying because he did love his players, still does. And he, he said, you know what? When we stop yelling at you, that's when you better feel bad. That's when you better worry. When you don't hear anything from us, when we're just going through the motions and we don't say anything to you, that's when you should wake up and worry and wonder, do they even care? <laughs> but for all the yelling, they cared. They cared about us. The, the, last, um, the last priority is to be faithful versus undependable. Of course, no-brainer. Of course, faithfulness. Proverbs 27.10, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Now, of course, the, the far away part is a, an interpretation. There is proximity, of course. If you're far, far away from someone, it's kind of hard to be faithful that, to that person. And uh, so we're not blaming somebody just because they're far away how come you're not helping me if somebody if a family member lives clear across the country and you need a meal you're not worried you're not thinking wow how come my brother in in uh, new york doesn't bring me a meal tomorrow well they you know <laughs> use some common sense there um better is a neighbor who is near though and the point here is to be a neighbor be dependable be someone that uh, that your neighbors can depend on. And we should understand that as Christian brothers and sisters, we're to be faithful to our church community, to our church family. We who are close by, and we have the ability to help, and we have the means to help, we should help. We should uh, be people that can be dependable to our, our neighbors and to our Christian brothers and sisters especially. Um, and so we, we uh, should be dependable friends who need our help and dependable to our service to the Lord. So as we, as we wrap it up today, um, uh, the final thought here is that the, as we continue in the book of Proverbs beyond this, uh, 
Proverbs is a very practical, a very concrete uh, book, a very walkable path. As I was uh, finished, as I was looking at these last uh, a couple of sections here, I was thinking, uh, in other words, all of these things are doable. We can do this. This, uh, the, these choices, all of the choices that we read, it was like, obviously, love is better than hate. Obviously, humility is better than pride. Obviously, the fear of the Lord is better than prosperity. Clearly, there is a better way, and clearly there is the best way. And the difficult part is when it, when it is facing you, and you have to make the decision, do I cheat or do I embrace righteousness? At times, that can be a difficult decision in the world. But we have to think of the better way, the best way. What does Scripture say? And how are we dependent on the Lord and relying on his faithfulness to us? And Solomon says, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey his commandments, do the right thing, do the better thing, do the best thing. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these Proverbs that we've read today. And as we uh, continue in this book, we would uh, pray that we would examine our lives through each one of these Proverbs, that we would use each one of these Proverbs as a lens, as even a a magnifying glass on our own life to see where we may be weak in some of these areas of some of the choices that that face us every day, that we would be aware of, of weaknesses that we need to uh, to bolster up from the Word of God, to bolster up through the through your Holy Spirit that you give us to help us and to empower us. Thank you for your word, and we, we thank you for the strength that you do give us to live in a world that is not always so friendly. We pray these things in Jesus' name.